everyone. Welcome to a new edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel. Uh, today, we have Lisa Zhu from NOPSEC, uh, just a wonderful person. I've, I've had the opportunity to chat with her before. I think you're going to find her extremely engaging, really, really interesting human being. Uh, so I will take a momentary pause. We'll bring Lisa on board, and we'll have a really great conversation with her today. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're, we're really, really excited to, to, to have you on board here. And um, one of my favorite people in the world, you know, uh, uh, Holly Hitchcock, she, she uh, broke with the introduction here. So I'm really glad that, that she did. And I want to be chatting with you th- today, Lisa. Um, I thought maybe we could start with um, you sharing a bit about your personal narrative, your story, uh, what, what's, um, what's unfolding in your career uh, uh, to date. Awesome, happy to do that. Thank you for having me. So um, I've been doing this roughly about two decades. I started my career at Anderson Consulting and helping large enterprises building a security program, you know, deploying people, implementing solutions, and then driving a security outcome. So the idea of the starting offset is really, you know, come twofold. One is a customer came to us saying, is there a better way we can automate? You know, today we got our message scan, we have hundreds of pages, we're, you know, we're suffering from this manual process. Is there a better way you can give us more intelligence to drive to remediation? And then the other part is really happening, translating the offensive expertise into something more of an automated process. You know, our team had the years of experience doing pen testing, red teaming. And in their eyes, certain vulnerabilities are vulnerable, others is false positive. But how can we codify those offensive expertise into the product and then leveraging algorithm machine learning to make a more actionable recommendation for customer? Especially in our environment, when we have a shortage of the security talents, you want to really engage them, focus on the research analytics instead of Excel spreadsheets or triage. So here we are, and we launched our product, and the first are named as a leader in the first wave, and then that's all part of the history. Well, wonderful. Th- thank you for sharing that, Lisa. And, and you, know, you were mentioning about your company, Nop- Nopsec, there, and um, sort of the part of its, its origin story. Um, so t- today, in, in terms of who does Nopsec serve, and who, who are sort of your, your ideal um, customers in, in terms of who Nopsec can help? Yeah, great question. Our ideal customer profile is enterprise customer um, in the regulated compliance vertical, such as financial healthcare, have the challenge of triaging the data coming out of the vulnerability scanner, looking for a solution to aggregate multiple data sources, prioritize radiation and automate the workflow, really delivering better automation, visibility, and metrics for the various personas that we can enterprise. Oh, I really appreciate you uh, summarizing it that well. That, that's extremely well uh, put there. And, and you know, in, in, in terms of just maybe broader from a vulnerability management perspective as well, and you're saying how just organizations that at least organizations that have vulnerability management platforms uh, that they're often just just drowning in 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 data, and uh, often they don't have the resources uh, to to deal with it. I mean, there's a lot of human power to, to have to deal with it. Like you're saying, the, the need to to automate it. Um, do you find that there's different levels of maturity when it comes to organizations that have vulnerability management uh, uh, platforms? Do they maybe take more of a tech-centric approach and haven't built the right processes around it? I'm just curious to sort of what, what you've seen with, with your clients to date. 
interesting question you asked that you know all of above <laughs> if you think about the evolution of the vulnerability management it started with the vulnerability assessment running a scanning tool analyze what are the potential vulnerabilities so what is the truly management you have to take multiple dimensions in the maturity program is if there are proper governance in place do we have a proper scanning cadence patch cadence other processes what are the metrics we're looking at in terms of the SLAs? Do we have the proper staffing to support that? And then holistically, you can look at a program. So if you ask me what's today in the market, I mean, overall, the market is still relatively immature. A lot of folks are still focusing on the basic blocking and tackling, running scan, chasing celebrity vulnerabilities. So we give that term, you know, celebrities, right? There's a lot of... Uh, newsworthy vulnerability, but how much real risk it presented to the organization? That's a question mark. And our security research team actually did a very interesting research looking at all the celebrity vulnerability in the past 24 months. Actually, there's only two out of the entire universe making a real impact. You know, folks can be able to execute exploitation. And then the other dimension is about the collaboration. You know, if you think about enterprise, it's very siloed. You have infrastructure team, application team, a cloud team. And within the silo, a lot of tools in place. We have a lot of dispersed data, but there's not really one place to aggregate all the data sources, correlate to discover additional intelligence across the source and really deliver insights. You know, for example, we talk about vulnerability management, but a lot of times we're dealing with end of life, end of life of softwares. So do you think it's really a VM problem in terms of the root cost? Actually, it's really driven by business decisions, right? Certain assets we need to retire. Do we really need to keep those assets and continue exposed in the scanning cycle and then chasing the tail? So we will hope to bring more actionable insights, the things exposed unknown for customers to have a better understanding what's their posture. I, I'm, I'm curious too, you know, when we're talking about vulnerability management and you know, I mean, how that goes hand in hand broadly with, with uh, patch management as well. So organizations that you know, may, let's say they're mature enough to have a vulnerability management program, what sort of the maturity of their patch management uh, approach or patch management program? Are, are, are they fairly robust with that? Do there are certain areas where maybe they're doing better. You know, I know there's some organizations that struggle with third-party application patching, as an example. I'm just, just curious, to, again, what you, you're seeing with, with your customers. Yeah, we definitely see customer mature. We hear customer asking more for better prioritization contextualize all the data customer collecting. It used to be Patch Tuesday, right? The entire program is driven based on the patch schedule. Now customers start to ask, how can I get make a better decision based on the context? Is this a critical asset? We have a thousand of users tapping into certain systems. Uh, what are the threats perspective? Are there active ransomware malware out there? We could get exposed. And what are the existing compensating controls? You know, we deploy a lot of the security tools. You know, do we really need to have to fix this right away? Or is it based on the, the contextualized risk of prioritizing what really matters the most? I'm, I'm, I'm still, that, that term cele celebrity vulnerability is circling in my head now. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have to. <laughs> you, oh, you, you, that. <laughs> that is such an awesome term. <laughs> um, uh, no, really appreciate what, what, what you shared so far, Lisa, and, and maybe just to take a, just a quick pivot into 
another area that I wanted to talk to you about is I guess broadly around diversity in, in, in the cybersecurity field and, and, and industry. You know, um, you know, you say that you, you've been in, in the field uh, uh, two decades, and um, I'm approaching 15 years. And um, I know one of the first things that when I went to my first conference 15 years ago, I thought, wow, there's a lot of middle-aged white guys here. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think we've seen s some improvement uh, from a diversity and, and inclusion perspective. But I wonder if you can walk me through, where are we right now in terms of industry, in terms of um, you know, being, being accommodating and, and welcoming and championing more females and having greater diversity in, in the field? And where do we need to go from where we are today? Yeah, I think we have a couple of problems we have to solve. You know, one is in our industry generally still, you know, male dominated. And we actually did very interesting research. We looked at how many companies out there in the last 24 months, they raised more than $1 million. So there are about 654 companies. And out of that, there's only 20 companies are led by a female leader. So it really looking at you know three percent of all the companies out there in cyber continue to grow, but it's very limited exposure you know from the DEI perspective. I think our main problem one is um, execution. So everyone talk about it. It's a board topic. You know execution is how can we translate that into hiring, recruiting, retention, and then promote internal growth. And I'm a female leader, I recruit, you know, the best females out there. If we have the choice, we will always prefer the diversity because we know it brings different dimension. Yes. And then the other problem, we have a pipeline problem. You know, cyber, we didn't have an industry discipline 15 years ago. Now you start to see education, you know, college education in the cyber. But then how about further a lot of the pipeline? How about high school? How about you know, elementary school, we need to start to educate kids or teenagers what is important about cyber. We're living in the digital world. Our data is the key priority we need to protect. If we don't create a awareness, if we don't create a pipeline, we're still going to have this problem five years from today. Uh, th thank you for sharing that, Lisa. And you know, one of the areas that I wanted to maybe better understand, too, in terms of what can be done is around uh, retention, you know, and you know, I've, I, I know and I've had conversations with just countless females who have come into industry, but have either burned out or could not tolerate the, you know, the toxic male culture that or bro culture that was still was, uh, permeates so many corners of our industry. Um, what more can be done from the retention perspective, you know, because uh, it, it's, it's one thing to, to, to welcome someone, but if they don't feel welcomed, uh, they're going to still, they're going to leave in droves. So what more can be done there? or should be done? Yeah, I think the tone at the top is always, you know, we need to set up the right tone at the board, at the leadership level. And then we also need to create a career path for our team. You know, if you folks do not see light in the tunnel where they see how can we deliver outcome that has been recognized also making an impact for the company, for customer, changing people's lives, changing their behaviors. And then have a mission within the team, align the company mission to the individual missions. And people work for a purpose, not only about a paycheck, right? You know, we have the talents, they can work anywhere. They need to fully align. So something we really value, we call internally, we say, IOU, what is IOU? I is best idea wins. 
So it's all about meritocracy. It's not about job title. It's about can you bring, we, we always talk about is, you know, Lisa respect more grounded disagreement than just obedience, right? You have to encourage people to speak of their mind and what they think is the right thing to do. It may not be ultimately, ultimately get it implemented, but at least it gives everybody opportunity to have a voice. What is all is ownership. I own the outcome. I own the results. And it's measurable. You know, you can have OKR, you can have those visibilities, everyone is fully aligned. And then what's you is the urgency. The only sustainable differentiator is act with urgency. Because if you act faster than the bigger gorilla, you address customer pains faster, you respond to the market faster. So if you create a culture, you're going to attract a similar mind, whether it's male or female, minority or non-minority. But that's the inclusive culture you have to be able to execute and then deliver against what you promise. I appreciate you sharing that, Lisa. And, and um, my second to last question is around, I guess I'll call it gatekeeping. You know, um, do, do you see a lot of gatekeeping in, in our industry where you know, the, you know there's certain people or types of people that are preventing you know uh, people from outside of IT or or, or other groups from 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 making inroads in, 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 into our field? Um, what can we do to actively remove gatekeepers and that are holding back our industry? Um, I see less. I see less nowadays. You know, maybe 10 years ago or more, you know, you have a certain categories of group, either you're in a club or you're not in a club. Yep. folks are more impressive now, you know, really open up. I think people also, COVID changed a lot of the perspective, right? It broadened our talent pool. You're able to tap into different types of resources in a different geography. And I do see there's a positive improvement from that perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. And Lisa, I'm very appreciative of you uh, uh, joining us today. I know how busy you are. Um, one one last question uh, for our viewers and listeners who want to learn more about NOPSEC. Uh, where's the best spot where they can, or spots where they can go to learn more about you and, and your organization? Yeah, they can follow us on LinkedIn, on Twitter. You can also come to NOPSEC.com on the website and uh, really enjoy an opportunity to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Lisa, thank you again so much. You're welcome back anytime. Um, Lisa Zhu, everyone, uh, thank you again, Lisa. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, I will take a momentary pause to wrap up today's episode. Really want to thank Lisa uh, for coming on the podcast today. and also want to uh, thank uh, Holly Hitchcock uh, for uh, connecting me with Lisa. Um, uh, for many of you who don't know, Holly actually has sent us in so many incredible guests over the past few years. Um, so uh, Holly, I want to give you a special shout out because I don't think I've ever given you a shout out before on the podcast. But thank you as always for supporting us and supporting the podcast with such terrific human beings and terrific guests. Um, and of course, I'd be remiss not to thank our loyal listeners and viewers who join us each and every week. If you did happen to miss a previous episode, do check out the Cybersecurity Matters uh, YouTube page and or check us out on your favorite podcasting platform. Till next time, be well, be safe, and we will see you again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.